do it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth thee, who also, or calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28, if correctly read. I want to preach on this thought. A church with momentous incentives. A church with momentous incentives. We remember Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey came to the city of Thessalonica. He preached there three Sabbath days. Many people got saved, but there was also a great rebellion and resistance. So much so that they took many of those people that were in the church and hauled them off to stand before the authorities. And Paul, I believe, told them that he would leave, that let everybody go, because he knew he had already planned the gospel. He was taking root, bearing fruit, and so he left and went to Berea. And from Berea, he went to Athens. And in Athens, he got concerned and worried about the church at Thessalonica. He prayed and was burdened for them and needed to hear how they were doing. He felt detached from their situation. And so he sent Timothy. Though he needed Timothy with him in Athens, he sent Timothy to go check on them in Thessalonica. And when Timothy came back, he said, Paul, I want you to know, brother, they have faith in Christ. They have love for one another. Many have been saved even further. God is doing a great work. For which Paul began to praise God and became very thankful. He begins to deal with some concerns, some teaching, some instructions that Thessalonica needed to hear and needed to be resolved. And he writes this epistle. And in every chapter, he mentions the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that that second coming, there are many events that are still to take place after the rapture, the rapture being the first, and many events, heavenly events that will take place. And so Paul begins to uh, share with the church some of these things. And then in chapter 5, he shares many imperatives, which are commands, not suggestions, commands. And he comes here to verse 23, and I see number one, there is a prayer for sanctification. Now look at the present work. The very God of peace sanctify you holy. What does that mean? Sanctify, sanctification, what is that? It means to be set apart. Set apart from the world, set apart from sinners. That's what it means. And he goes on to say, I pray God your whole spirit your innermost being and body and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming. There it is again, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask this question. What do you think that a pastor should pray over his flock for? Paul is praying for the church to have sanctification. That needs to be our chief aim, to be separated from the world and to become Christ-like. That's what God has determined. That's his plan and his purpose for our lives. And Paul is praying for the sanctification of the church. This word is found over 70 times in Scripture. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever prayed for someone's sanctification? I dare say many of you have never even thought about praying for someone else's sanctification. Sanctification is part of the salvation process. Preacher, what do you mean? On July 13th, 1978, I got saved. Did you get saved? When I got saved, it was a completed event. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, right? It is the gift of God. That's an act of 
justification. I was saved in the past. But I'm also being saved presently. Preach, what do you mean? It's a continuing process. It is ongoing. Though I've been saved in the past, he's still working on saving me presently. In the book of Philippians chapter one, we'll point this out. Philippians chapter one and verse number six. I believe that these imperatives that uh, Paul has laid out before us about momentous incentives, I believe that these are present needs we have in the church. You may say, Preacher Darren, the church doesn't need anything. That's true. We've got all that we need, yet there are needs present that we must have fulfilled. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. He's working on me. He's continuing to clean me up each and every day to make me more and more Christ-like, right? The salvation process is, I'm saved, but there's there's a past tense of that, but there's also a present tense. He's still... It's still happening now. He's saving me every day. Look with me in chapter number two in verse number 12. Look at this. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I've been saved. The Lord did that. But he said, now you need to work out. That means you need to make it operational in your life today. There's many people just sitting around and saying, well, I'm waiting for God to do the next great thing. Honey, you need to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is a process called sanctification. There's also um, uh, salvation in the past, salvation working presently. What about salvation prospectively in the future? What about the crowning moment? Romans chapter 13. Turn there. Romans chapter 13. One of these days, we're going to stand before the Lord in our salvation. Romans 13, 11. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. What do you mean nearer? I was saved in 1978. I'm already saved. But he said your salvation is nearer. What does that mean? Salvation in the past, I'm saved. Salvation presently, he's actively sanctifying. It's a process. He'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, which is the rapture. And when we get there, there's your day of salvation when we gather home in heaven. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. What about that? July 13th, 1978, when I got saved, I got saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus changed my legal status from condemned to justified. Condemned is to be charged with a crime. It is evidence being presented, my guilt being determined. The law pronounced a sentence of punishment for me. The wage of sin is death. But justification is when the accused is found not guilty. The law has nothing more against him. He has been acquitted. He has been exonerated. My case on July 13, 1978 was tried in the high court of heaven. And the great judge of the universe has declared there is therefore Now no more condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It wasn't for lack of evidence. I was guilty. It wasn't that we had some crooked lawyer finding a loophole. It's that I came through the shed blood of Calvary and he changed my legal status from condemned to justified. And he's redeemed me from the penalty of sin. That was done in the past when he died for me on Calvary, 
when he was buried and when he was raised again. Now, currently, I am being saved from the power of sin. That's present. You see, I still have a body that's not saved. It's not sanctified, amen? It's not set apart. It has a flesh nature. Oh, me. I think some of you have a flesh nature too. You see, it's not been justified. But when Christ died on the cross, he defeated the power of sin. Sin had dominion. But sin has been defeated. And sin can be denied. I, you, do not have to serve sin. I am free from the power of sin. Sin can, listen to this, sin can coerce me, but it cannot force me. Thank God for it. I am to yield myself to Christ. This is the process of sanctification. There's a war. And one day, not only am I saved from the penalty of sin, and I'm being saved from the power of sin, but one day I'll be saved from the presence of sin. Think about that. One day, we're going to a place called heaven where sin cannot enter in. There'll be no sin, there'll be no Satan, there'll be no storms. The honest, it is unimaginable, humanly speaking, that we can go to such a place where there is no more sin. It's beautiful, isn't it? I think about 1 John chapter 2. Behold, verse 1, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In the past, I'm... Re- Boy, this is getting deep. Getting over. In the past, I'm redeemed, praise God. I- I've, been, I've been saved uh, from the uh, for the penalty of sin, I've been justified. In the present, I'm being saved from the power of sin. I'm being sanctified. In the prospective future, I need amen right here. I'll be saved from the presence of sin and I'll be glorified. Justified, sanctified, glorified. I'll be just like Jesus. Woo, glory to God. It's a present work. It's going on right now. Now you know why there's such a war with your flesh and your soul and spirit. Why there's such a war war with this old sinful world and my flesh and what's going on with my spiritual being. It's a present work. It's also a personal work. Now it needs to be emphasized that God himself sanctifies his people. The very God of peace. It's not your pastor. It's not the people. It's not some turning over some new leaf. It's not going to counseling sessions. No, no, no. It is God develops you as a Christian. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 8. He says, I am the Lord which sanctify you. Hebrews, you're close, 10, 10. Hebrews 10, 10. Preacher Darren, too much scripture turning. I'll never have enough evidence. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. A person will not grow, will not develop, will not mature in the faith unless God grows them. I think about 1 Corinthians. This is going to get deep. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't want to bore you. I want you to stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul names a litany of sins in verse number 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of man of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Were past tense. Amen. Before I got saved, hey, he, thank God, he saved me, forgave me of the penalty of sin. He's delivered me from the power of sin. Such were some of you. What's this? 
but you are washed, but you are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now think about it. We are sanctified positionally. What does that mean, Preacher Darren? Positionally, I am a child of God that can never change. Positionally, I'm his child. But practically, I'm under construction. I'm not a perfect child of God. I have a flesh. I have problems. You may say, amen, preacher. That's right. I got up this morning, stumbled into the, the bathroom there, thought I was doing pretty good until I cut the light on. Amen. And if you cut the light on and see what you really are, you'll feel pretty bad about what you see. Amen. While we're close, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I've got to get off this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore... These promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness, that scares people. Yet you have the Holy Spirit living in you. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit lives inside you. I'm not afraid of that. I have a Holy Bible laying right here on the pulpit. You've got one in your lap. I'm not afraid of that. The Lord says we need to practice. We need to have holiness. Look at this verse. You need to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. What about that? What is the filthiness of flesh? What about what you see? Have you looked at sinful things? Oh, no, not me. Okay. Have you heard sinful things? Oh, no, not me. Have you said sinful things? Oh no, not me. Have you participated in sinful things? Oh no, not me. Then you don't have anything of your flesh to clean up, yet you amen me to death when I said we have a war with our flesh that does wrong. Paul said, when I know what I ought to do, that I do not. Amen, that's what Paul said. So there's some things in our flesh what we see, what we hear, what we say, what we do. We need to clean those things up. We're going to need the Holy Ghost's help. That's a process of sanctification. But also, what about your spirit? Well, preacher dear, my spirit's saved. Well, let's think about your motives. Let's think about your actions. Let's think about the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Think about it. There was a woman, poor illustration, I know. There was a woman taken in the act of adultery. She had sin in the flesh, taken in the act of adultery. They brought her to Jesus, said, Master, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And He said, He that's without sin cast the first stone at her. I mean, it looked like she's the worst sinner there. But he forgave her quickly. But what about their motives? What about the thoughts and intents of their heart? Were they sinful in their motives for prosecuting this young lady? Have you ever been part of such a movement? Have you ever thought, I'm just telling you, I believe that it's going to be harder on things that we've kept in in our spirit than the things that we practiced in our flesh. That's what I believe. Now, go back with me to our text. It's a present work. It's a personal work. It is a peaceful work. The God of peace. He's the one that performs this, uh, this um, work of sanctification. And the fruit of it is peace. Jealousy and infighting. They do not come from sanctification. They come because of unfaithfulness and immaturity in the faith. We must be submitted to the Lord. Ephesians 4.13, what a verse. Ephesians 4.13. Turn there with me. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. I dare say that tonight or even last Sunday, we were not all here together in the unity of the faith. Well, preacher, I want to hear you preach. Well, preacher, Aaron, I'd rather hear somebody else preach. Preacher, Aaron, I like the message you preach. 
Preacher, and I wish you'd you preach too long, you preach too loud, you you preach too soft, you're too quiet, you're too mild. Listen. Well, they spent too much money on the church. They what? I didn't come here to discuss those things. I came here to worship Jesus Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's trying to sanctify you. And we still want to play little baby games and have little power struggles. Lord God, we've got to learn to come together and get in this choir and praise His name and get in this altar and pray and seek His face and come to worship Him and get past our little piddly selves and how we think it needs to be. And there I've said it. But it's the truth, bless God. And it don't just, listen, it doesn't just happen here. It happened in Thessalonica and it happens in every church all across our country. And if we'd really get in unity of the Spirit, God would really move and bless. And you think, well, so-and-so, people are not getting poured out and getting saved because something's wrong with our pastor. It may be that something's wrong with our pews. We got one pastor, we got about 400 in the pews. Hello? There's a perfecting work. He's, go back. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. God, he said, may God, this is what he's praying. May God change you completely. Every facet, your whole person. May the Lord change your thinking. May he change your attitude. May he change your motives. May he change your, your choices. May he change your decisions that you reflect Christ in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. It's a thorough work. Glory to God, in every realm of your life, we need to be sanctified. Not just in here on Wednesday night. Hello? Look at verse 24. It's a promised work. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Preacher, I have a lot of work then that needs to go on with me. He knows it. And the one that called you, to salvation is the one who's going to do it. He's the one that's going to sanctify you. He's the one that's going to, he's going to allow some troubles and trials and issues to come in your life to get you to see what's really important. Amen. Number two, we see petitioning for servants. Look at verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. What a thought. Simple four words. Brethren, pray for us. This, this is not a, an idea. This is not a suggestion. Pray for us if you, if you want to. Oh, no. It's a command. It's an imperative. Paul says, brethren, pray for us. As all believers need prayer. Paul, the great man of God, needs prayer. And we have access to God's throne through the shed blood of Jesus Christ through our one and only mediator. Who is it that can pray for you? Only a brother or sister in Christ. That's the only ones that can pray for you. Prayer belongs to the family of God. And when we are prayerless, we become proud and we have forgotten our dependence on the Lord. God uses storms and trials to awaken us to our needs. Then we begin to pray. Is it, does it work better in your life? Do you pray better when you're going through a storm? Why do you think he allows those things to come? To call your attention back to what you and I need to be doing. They, they increase and develop our prayer life. And, and you think it's just the storm when you need him? No! You need him each and every day. God will destroy your illusions of being self-sufficient. And you need to understand something. You cannot handle one thing on your own. See, God brings us face to face that we need him every day and in every single solitary way. And if we don't pray, we have become uh, insensitive to our needs before the Lord. Now listen to this, I'm going to go further. If I don't ask for prayer, 
I'm not sensing my need before the Lord. I, I don't just pray. I also stand in need of prayer. I'm a pastor. I need prayer. I'm a daddy. I need prayer. I'm a husband. I need prayer. I'm a man of God. I need prayer. I'm a Christian. I need prayer. Paul says, brother, brethren, pray for us. You know the best thing you can do for me is pray. And I want to stand in this pulpit tonight and I want to personally say, thank you for your prayers. Where would I be without the prayers of God's people in my life? Such a blessing. I got to thinking about it. Who loves me enough to pray for me? What a privilege to have people that care for you enough to pray for you. Who loves me enough to pray for my wife? And who loves me enough to pray for my children? And in all likelihood, today, God laid me on somebody's heart and had them pray for me. And in all likelihood, God laid your name on somebody's heart and mine and they prayed for you today. I like that old song, somebody prayed for me. Woo. Glory to God. They had me on their heart. Paul shares his need for prayer. Now think with me for a second. All believers can be used in prayer. Preacher dear, and I am not following you. The church at Thessalonica, I need an amen here if you agree. The church at Thessalonica is a group of new converts. They're young in the faith. They haven't experienced a lot of storms and trials and troubles. They're young believers. They're an infant church. Do you agree? And Paul is an experienced, seasoned man of God. And he goes to a young infant church and says to a group of young converts, Brethren, pray for us. Woo! <laughs> Let me tell you something. You may have been saved for 58 years, but it ought to be that you could walk up to the person that was saved Sunday morning and say, Would you pray for me? Amen. That's what we're commanded to do. What? I have a question. What will possibly be accomplished without prayer? Think about the disciples. They were sailing across the Sea of Galilee and suddenly, unexpectedly, they got in a storm. And Jesus is, on, is asleep on the back of the boat. But rather than wake him and tell him, Master, we're in a storm and we need your help, what they do? They tried to row. They tried to sail until they couldn't do it anymore. And the Lord, I'm going to tell you tonight, the Lord's going to let you row, row, row your boat until you figure out you can't do it on your own. And until you're willing to humble yourself and say, Master, don't you care that we perish? Master, would you help me? Oh, maybe to go and say to somebody else, Brother, Brothers, we need to pray. Pray one for another. Prayer is vital to your spiritual growth and your development. And all believers, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Bethel, all believers, seasoned or, or young, you are responsible to pray. It's an imperative. Prayer is a responsibility. When you neglect to pray, when you are prayerless, it's sinful. Neglecting to pray for the lost, the church, your family, your friends, your foes, your pastor, the decide, listen, the decisions you go through every day. You don't pray about your choices. You're going to get in trouble. I want to look. Here in the book of Colossians, right after the book of Philippians, Colossians, turn there. Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. We meet a man by the name of Epaphras. He's a man of God. He's probably a pastor. Chapter 4, verse 12. Colossians 4, 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, 
that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Thank God for a pastor like Epaphras who would labor and love you enough to pray for you and you don't even know he prayed. And you may criticize, where, where is Epaphras? Well, what, why didn't Epaphras come to my thing? Where, where was Epaphras? I'll tell you, bless God, where Epaphras was. He was down beside his bed, over beside a tree. He was called out your name before God that you'd be sanctified and that you would be in all the will of God. Give me a preacher like that. One that can get hooked up in prayer with God and deliver God's word to me. That I hear from heaven that I can grow and mature in the faith. Give me a preacher like that. I don't need good time Charlie. I don't need, need a famous, famous Charlie. That's not who I need. I need somebody to get in touch with heaven on my behalf. That's what I'm looking for. When I go to church, to go to church where there's actual love and care one for another, that we may pray one for another. I've got to move off this thought and skip the rest. Let's go back to our text. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 26, he says, Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. So we've talked about number one, the prayer for sanctification. Number two, the petitioning for servants, praying one for another. Thirdly, what about the passion for souls? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, preacher Aaron, they didn't have COVID. Preacher, I'm uncomfortable when people come up to kiss me. I don't want them in my bubble. Yeah, I get it. But that's really not what you take it to mean. It really means that there ought to be a warm handshake. There ought to be a warm smile. There ought to be a welcome. There ought to be a passion that you and I have one for another. There ought to be real love in the family of God. I'm preaching to people tonight probably that's listening. You might not even love your own family, your own mama, your own daddy, your own children, your own brother, your sister. You don't love some of your friends. You question their every motive. And yet I preach to you about loving one another you know, love is never to be insincere. The Lord Jesus Christ picked Judas, handpicked him to be one of his disciples. And Judas came to that garden where Jesus had been praying for hours over our needs and getting ready to give his life on the cross. And when Judas comes up to him, what did he do? He kissed him. And he betrayed him. And he probably kissed the blood because Jesus had his sweat became his great drops of blood. Judas kissed him. Our love, church, needs to be sure and pure. It's, it's not to be insincere. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I think about, I want to look. I'll go over to Proverbs. Turn there with me. I want you to turn to Proverbs. Let's look at chapter 27 while we're close. Proverbs 27, verse 6. I want you to see it. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, put it down. People that come up to you and kiss you with their words and say, I love you, and it's insincere behind it, you need to have wisdom that you're not being flattered and being tricked. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. They... Their kisses, they pretend that they, they put on. Mm. What's this one? Proverbs 7. You're not going to like this one, but here we go. Proverbs 7. Please turn there. Love is also not, it's not only to be insincere, but it's not a false impression. In the book of Proverbs chapter number 7, verse 6, For at the window of my house, Proverbs 7, 6, at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner and he went the way to her house. Who do you think she is? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. 
verse 10, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. In case you didn't like my words, there it is. And subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide, not her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and life in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. And with an imputed face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I found thee. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry and carved works with the fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love unto the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. Mm-mm-mm. Well, what happened? Verse 21, with her much fair sh- speech, she caused him to yield. I'm telling you something. You know what? In life, you may say, well, preacher, Darren, that's sin of the flesh. People will lie to you and flatter you just like that girl on the street to try to get you to do what they need you to do. The devil will do it all day long and try to pull you, your standards down. You need to have some wisdom about you. We need to have a passion for, let's go back. Have a passion. Greet all the brethren. Well, I can preach right here. Love should not have impartiality. Greet all the brethren. It doesn't say go greet John and Vince, but not greet JC with a holy kiss. In other words, the same love and affection I have for these brothers, I should have for that brother. Just picking on, but you, you know what I'm saying? Do we have the same love one for another? Or is there somebody you don't really want to talk to? Somebody you avoid at Ingalls? Somebody you duck behind the counter at the Walmart till they pass? Hello? And you think it's the preacher's fault that everything ain't happening the way you want. I'm telling you, God's got some sanctifying work that needs to be done in your life that you can treat one another, that you love one another, all people the same. Hello? Well, you just don't know how I got treated. I know how Jesus got treated. And he lives inside you and you're fully capable of smiling and loving them and forgiving them. and He's not asking you to make them your, your long-lost best friend. But he is asking you to be cordial and have love and to pray one for another. I've got to move on. A passion for soul. I just want to go back to my text. This church should not be a cold place. This should be a place that expresses the love of God. This is not love for a few but love for the whole. Help me, Jesus. Do you think it's easy that when you've got reamed out before you get in the pulpit to preach and you've got to get up here and look at that person that just busted you, that you just didn't meet their expectations and you're way in the wrong, and you've got to get up here and preach the love of God to them and then go and pray for them and love them the very same, if not more, than you did before you started. And you think it's easy. How would you do? I'm telling you, church, you need to pray for me. And you need to pray one for another. Whew, these are tough verses. Fourthly, verse 27. I charge you, by the Lord, that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Fourthly, this is what's needed in our church. You know what's needed? Public scripture reading. Well, preacher Darren, I mean, this is the word of God. Yeah, but when he wrote it, he didn't know. Yeah, he did. The Holy Ghost is the one that inspired him to write. I, I want to turn. I want you to see this. Over in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter number 3. Don't cut me off yet. Please don't. This is important. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 15. And account 
that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. See that? Other scriptures. So what Peter just said was what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Brethren, pray for us. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. It is important that we read scripture publicly. That's what I'm obeying the command by reading this to you tonight. There's a reason to preach and proclaim the word of God and not just have a puppet show every time we come together and have church. In 1 Timothy, you're close, 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 13. Look what Paul told Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. I'm almost done. 4.13. Look what he told him. This is what Paul told Timothy. Till I come, chapter 4, verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Well, preacher Darren, that means he needs to sit down and read Romeo and Juliet. Not hardly. He needs to give attention to reading the word of God. And this is not just for him privately. Timothy is a young pastor. He said, son, when you get up there, I want you to give attention to reading the word of God. Our churches are moving away from the word of God. I can take you to local Bible schools who passed out presidents' pictures with little playing cards on them and talked about the goodness of our presidents because they're afraid the word of God might offend somebody in their home. Dear Lord, that's not vacation Bible school. That's vacation president card school. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. He said, you give attention to reading and also to exhortation. Encourage people, comfort them, and also stand for doctrine of the word of God. You know what Jesus said in John's, when Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God uses the word of God to help us to grow. Well, there's a fifth thing that we need, fifthly. And, and these are not, this is not just a throwaway verse. Well, it's the end of the chapter, it's just a throwaway verse. You think the word of God has a throwaway verse in it? You need to re-examine your priorities. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. We need, fifthly, the presence of the spirit of grace. We must concentrate on grace. We'll not have anything if it wasn't for grace, amen. Paul opens and closes letter talking about the grace of the Lord. This church at Thessalonica, Bethel Baptist Church, every church I know, we stand in need of the grace of God. The church must be empowered by the grace of God. Without his grace, we are hopeless. Our prayer, our service, our ministry, our homes need the grace of God. Our nation needs the grace of God. Grace is the action of God, activity, powerfully working in our lives. Look with me. I gotta see this. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15. What a verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. I'm almost done. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Now when Paul received the grace of God, look what it caused him to do. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, because the grace of God, I had to cut a trail and get after it and serve him and minister and pray and study. <laughs> Glory to God, that's what's needed. So tonight as I close, let's say that you and I, we went to a restaurant and, and we got there. So some of the families, we all got together. When we got there, there was 
dirty tables everywhere. Trash all over the floor. We looked through the doors of the kitchen when the servers opened it, and it was nasty in there. And when we got our food, it was terrible. The servers were rude and cold. Would you go back? I'm just asking a question. Would you go back and give them your hard-earned money if you're going to eat nasty food and be treated worse than a dog in a nasty place that the health department's about ready to shut it down? It shows that management's not up to par to allow these things to happen. It's got bad reviews, bad ratings. I'm asking you a question. Are you going back? But somebody else comes in and says, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to put it under new management and I'm going to start fixing things. I'm going to clean the place up. I'm going to get me a new chef, new servers. I'm going to establish health and clean the protocols, have a grand opening. It's under new management. Will you go? Maybe. Maybe. I have to think about it. I got to get over that time I got so sick. Come on. Mm. Let's suppose this. Let's suppose that you, your husband, went and said, Honey, I love you so much. You work so hard. I'm going to hire somebody to come in and help cook and clean at our house. What a blessing. And the girl gets there, well qualified. And you walk up and you say, uh, don't go in the kitchen. No, that, that's my place of refreshment. And the kitchen's off limits to you. The kitchen is mine. And she heads towards the bedroom and the bathroom to work. He said, no, 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 no. Don't go in my bedroom or my bathroom. That's my private place. I don't want you to see what really goes on there. Well, she goes to the living room. No, 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 no. Don't, don't go to the living room. That's my place of comfort, relaxation. I just like things where I like things. And so if you stop her from working in your kitchen and your bedroom and in your bathroom and your living room, she's not going to have anywhere to clean. And yet you hired somebody to work. Honey, the Holy Spirit wants access to every area of your life. It wants every, he wants every nook and cranny of your, ha- of your house, of your life. He wants to work and clean you up, but you're telling him, well, this relationship I have with so-and-so is off, is off bounds to you, Holy Spirit, because I'm kind of mad at them right now because they didn't really treat me right. Oh, I felt that. God said, stay right there. Who is it hurt your feelings? You've been so good to them. They hurt your feelings. And the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you need to get over that. You need to just let that go. And you're like, but no, Holy Spirit, you work in other areas of my life. That'll be good. You work in my church. You work on Preacher Darren. Work on my mama. Work on, but don't know. You work on the other person that's in this, but don't work on me about it. You just like that person that hired the maid to clean your house and you're telling the Holy Ghost what's off limits in your house. He's trying to work. He's got things he wants to do in your life. There was a, there was a, a man who got saved at a revival meeting. He was a, a rather large man. He was uh, very uneducated. And he couldn't read. But he heard the gospel message when he went to the church and he got gloriously saved. He, he went home and he shared the joyous news with his wife. She, she couldn't read either, but he, he told her about Jesus, how he died, was buried, and rose again. And, and when he did, she got saved too. And uh, he, he went back and forth to church every night. He'd come home, tell his wife what the preacher preached. He'd just re-preach the message. And, and the next night he'd go and he'd receive the word of God. And so excited he'd come home, tell his wife what he'd gotten. And finally one night, he came home sad. And she said, what's wrong with you? Every night you come home excited. He said, well, everybody at the meeting had a red shirt or a sweater except me. I missed the announcement. We were all wearing something red, and I'm sad about it. And she said, that, that's no problem. She, she knitted him an enormous red sweater. He, he put it on and took off happily to the service, and he came back again, and he was even more downcast. This is a true story. His wife said, honey, what's wrong now? You've got a brand new sweater and you're more downcast now than you were. He said, well, everybody had nice letters on their, on their, nice letters on their sweaters and I don't have any letters on mine. And 
She said, well, honey, I, I, you know I don't know how to read. I, I don't really know how to write. I, but if you'll leave here, swear with me, when you go to work, when you get home, I'll see what I can do. And across the street from their apartment building, there was a man who was painting a sign on a store window. And his wife decided, I don't know what it says, but a lot of people are looking at it. And so I'll just copy down what that man's putting on that storefront and I'll put it on my husband's sweater. And when he got home, he put it, he was so excited, it's got letters, and he was, he was thrilled, and he, he went off to church, but he didn't know what he said. And when he came home, his face was shining. He was smiling. He said, honey, you have done it. Dear, what you, they said my sweater is better than them all. I had the best one tonight, honey. I don't know what it says, but it's the best. She said, I, I don't know. She said, I just copied what was on that storefront over there. So they went downstairs excitedly and they said, sir, can you tell us what does that sign say? He said, it says under new management. On July 13th, 1978, this old center boy went under new management. He cleaned up the kitchen. He cleaned up the dirty bedrooms and the bathrooms I want you to know he, he, he cleaned up my attitude but sometimes my old flesh wants to come back. And he said, listen to me boy, you're under new management. You're not to be acting like that. You're the pastor of the church. You're supposed to set an example for your people. People, you're set an example for your neighbor on the pew over there across from you. Are you under new management or not? Or have the old manager trying to take back over. I'm telling you tonight, I'm tell, I just know that I know. If we're going to be a church prepared for the second coming, if we're going to be a church that's got these, uh, these uh, incentives to do right and live right, it's high time we got to it. And quit playing tiddlywinks and monopoly here at the house of God. We need to really have love and passion for Jesus and one for another. You stand to your feet tonight. Father, I thank you for the word of God and for the challenge of these texts. Lord, it's not popular, comfortable preaching. Lord, it's hit me right in the heart and I thank you for it. Lord, I pray now as we preached it, God, that you would touch this people God, you'd sanctify them wholly. God, that their spirit, their soul, and their body, Lord, would be preserved under the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that they truly would greet one another with holy love. And God, that we'd have the right attitude one towards another. That God, we could say to each other, would you pray for me? And we'd do that. Oh, God, would you help us, Lord, I pray. God, that we would read the word of God and proudly proclaim it. And that, God, we would have the grace of God present, working spiritually, spiritually in this church. Lord, I love you and I thank you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.